the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, friends. This is Wendy Scott. I want you to know about my personal friend, Mark Romanowski, and his locksmith and fire door inspection business. Mark decided to sponsor Season Watch to share the great joy he's experienced since he gave his life to Jesus. He accepted the Lord later in life and hopes that you won't wait to have the same peace, too. Mark's always saying, hey, man, you just need Jesus, and that's true. So if your commercial building has fire doors, contact Mark's fire door inspection services. He can inspect and certify all your fire doors and help fix the most common problems with fire marshal inspections. Like Jesus helps us pass God's inspection for heaven. You can find Mark's services and contact info at San Diego Fire Door Inspection.com. That's San Diego Fire Door Inspection.com. Thank you and God bless. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with Earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch. And we'll begin with prayer. I want to pray for Israel. uh, And I I pray for them the way that Psalm 20 prays for them. And so I'm just going to pray this. Uh, May the Lord bless May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. And so when I think of Israel and the position they're in right now, enemies not only all around them, but even their friends are starting to criticize and to hold Tell them to hold back. And I I believe Israel's um, God's chosen people. And there's an appointed a series of events coming ahead that are prophesied. And we just pray that rather than trusting in horses and in chariots or in their armaments or in their plans, uh, I, we just pray that God helps them to trust in him, that he uses this time, that He can't they can't rely on any other country. They can only rely on the God of Jacob, and I pray they find Yeshua. Um, so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Lord, we we have so much to talk about today. I'm going to go through it kind of quick. So let's just fasten your truth belts as today we talk about the Bible defends itself, the warning 
of Noah's flood. And so a previous episode titled The Bible Defends Itself, How Liberal Theology Sows the World into the Word, we looked at the biblical creation account and discussed the clear interpretation of the Genesis chapter 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, the plants, celestial bodies, animals in water and animals in the air, land animals and humans, all in six literal days with the seventh day of rest. And we went over that. So go listen to that previous episode, and you can hear all that description. And, of course, from this we understand that the institution of the work week uh, was given to humans, right? There was no other way that the seven-day work week was ever ever occurred. It's not uh, celestial. It has nothing to do with astronomical reasons. It's just established in the Bible. And so, moreover, the account clearly delineates several other important details. We talked about how all life was created to reproduce after its kind, and that God called each stage of the completion of creation, day one, day two, all those stages, he called them all altogether very good. And then Eden was a complete paradise with no death and no sin. And God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden in order to give humans free will so that they could choose to love God for themselves rather than to force them or pre-program them to love God. He gives us free will. And we saw in chapter 2, God warned them not to eat of the tree and that the day that they eat of it, that they would surely die. And then in chapter 3, Satan tempted Eve to eat of the fruit, and so did Adam. And so death and sin entered the human race, and all of creation was put under a curse as a human race is the head of creation. And so as a result, we see in Genesis 3.15, God's first promise of a redeemer of humans would come through the descendant who would crush the authority of Satan and eventually restore paradise for those who believed in his promise. And so right here we see in the first three chapters of Genesis everything that we need to understand our Redeemer and the need for a Redeemer to redeem us from death. And uh, we've sold ourselves into bondage. And so Paul explains in Romans how Jesus is that Redeemer who paid for our sins and bought us back from the curse of sin and death to make a new creation. We see in Romans five twelve. therefore just as one man Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. We see that for by one man's offense, death reigned, yet much more those who receive abundance grace, the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for us. So we see that relationship that death entered the world through Adam, and that Jesus removes the death and sin by giving of himself. And we also see in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Revelation 21, 5, we hear Jesus uh, is, it says, Then who he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And so that's the promise. And so uh, Adam brought us into bondage, and Jesus... Um, redeemed us from death and bondage of sin. And so, therefore, professing Christians must accept the biblical account and the clear teaching that God created everything in just six literal days and that all of creation was very good. And we found there's no reason not to. 
and that we cannot fall for liberal theology, as we've been talking about, because it compromises the Bible by introducing secular beliefs that the earth is billions of years old. And there's no undisputed scientific evidence that actually proves the Earth is billions of years old. Evolutionists must simply claim this in order to provide the millions of years that they believe it would take to have the right conditions in order to develop uh, life through the random chances and processes of spontaneous generation of life from just a pool of little chemicals. Then they just came together and assembled themselves into complex life. And so they need millions and millions of years in order to help evolutionists evoke a miracle that life can come from non-life and so that atheists can have their own miracle and discard God, get rid of God. And that's the whole view. There's no science to support it. That's just what they need it to be. And we fall for it. And Christians cannot allow this compromise into the clear teachings about creation when there's no scientific evidence to contradict the creation account. So doing so, allowing this view in, would impose uh, some form of evolution onto God's creation and therefore death into creation, you understand, before Adam and Eve. And this undermines the clear teaching of the gospel that death entered through human sin and therefore undermines the need for Jesus to pay for our sins. It also would make God a cruel creator for using death as a mechanism for creating life. You see, you can't untangle it. Once you go down that path and accept their argument for which there's no scientific basis, you entangle all of God's creation, all of his narrative, all of his promises in these lies. And so, uh, and we know God is not cruel and it makes the gospel of all of God's ho- and all of God's holy creator create character <laughs> a lie. So we don't want the gospel to be a lie. Jesus also verified the details of creation in Mark. So we know that from Mark 10:6 it says from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. So we see even God, uh, Jesus references creation and that there was a beginning and that from the beginning Right there at the beginning, it was male and female. So um, he also describes this war that broke out between Satan and the seed of the woman, as prophesied in Genesis 3.15, that there would be this war and that the Redeemer would come through him. Well, he explains in John 8.44 to the Pharisees, those are the seed of the devil. And it says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for truth because there's no truth in him. And so we know that uh, this dichotomy set up in uh, in chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, death entered through our sin, that there were no long ages, that there were not millions of years, that God created everything in six days, is vital to our understanding of the gospel. And the fact that Jesus verifies this account in several ways, and we understand that we cannot just disregard it and allegorize it. And so um, having established the veracity of the creation account, we're going to continue our discussion of Genesis by looking at the account of the global flood. So I think you'll find this interesting. And we must understand that no historical account in the Bible can be allegorized just to suit liberal theologians. We have to be aware of that. In fact, every account when indicated by context, must be accepted as true. 
And so we have no basis or, or legitimacy for picking and choosing which passages in the Bible we will accept as true and which ones we're going to reject or allegorize. And that's something that the world does, right? And so although the world mocks these accounts, they actually have no scientific facts to substantiate rejecting them. We must keep this in mind. And furthermore, their own explanations and interpretations of how the universe and life were created is actually not a natural conclusion from the evidence and has no undisputed scientific facts to prove them. They simply don't want there to be a God the Creator. And so the same applies to the geological features of the Earth, which are most clearly explained by the global flood. And we're going to see this. So let's review the flood account. Um, begins in Genesis chapter 6, when God observes how all creation had, quote, perverted its way, and the earth was full of violence. And at that time, before the flood, humans enjoyed long lives and lived hundreds of years, uh, which makes sense because they were originally designed to live forever. And so we'll pick up in Genesis 6, 5 through 9, and this explains uh, what was going on. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in all his generations. Noah walked with God. And so God selects Noah and his wife, his three sons, and the three wives to preserve humankind, as well as a representative of all land-dwelling animals that would go onto the ark. And he gave Noah and his family precise instructions to build the ark. It says in Genesis 6.14, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it uh, to a cubit above and the, set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with a lower, second, and third decks. And so the Hebrew word here interpreted as ark means box, and it only means box. Uh, like a container. It's the same word used throughout the Old Testament in referring to the Ark of the Covenant. And so Noah's Ark was not a boat, but a box, like a barge, or built that is built without a rudder. We also see when it's translated into Greek in the New Testament, the same word is translated into the word for box also. So it's not a boat. And based on the measurements that were just given, the dimensions work out to be 500 feet long 83 feet wide and 50 feet high. So this ark was quite massive. And shipbuilders have actually created scale models based on these dimensions and the report that the ratio of these dimensions match the most common and most effective dimensions for stability on the high seas. And it's actually the dimensions shipbuilders use today in terms of the ratio. And the instructions further for the ark stipulate to build rooms inside and three decks and with a long window along the top for ventilation and then the single door on the side. And then that Noah was to cover it with pitch or likely tree resin for waterproofing. And so all these indicate an intelligent design, even though most people of any era um, would imagine a standard boat. And so if somebody was making this up, they probably wouldn't describe it in such a way. 
And so Noah and his family worked on building the ark for 100 years, um, and he likely hired some help and spent the whole time telling others about what was to come. And we get this idea that he was likely trying to get converts to go on the boat from Second Peter 2.5 because Peter, uh, for the Lord, says that God did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And so Peter, Second Peter 2.5 testifies not only that, that God was judging an ungodly, out-of-control world full of violence, but also that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So that's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we can understand that Noah probably was trying to tell everybody, hey, no kidding, this, this is going to happen. They're like, rain, what's rain? Right, because it hadn't rained on the earth yet. Um, and so I'm sure they laughed at him. And in fact, we can tell this when we later look at the scripture that Jesus refers to. And so um, Noah was then instructed to receive land animals of every kind. It's funny because it doesn't sound like he went out and collected them. It actually describes being brought to him. But here's the description, Genesis six seventeen. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female, of the birds of their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come, uh, will come to you, will come to you. To keep them alive, and you shall take for yourself all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And so from this account, we recognize the clear instructions of how many of each kind to bring into the ark. And so the ark was very large. If you look at 500 feet long, the ark was very large, large enough to hold two of every kind, no problem. And several of the clean animals, which we see later, like seven of some of the clean animals. And all land-dwelling animals, as God said, with the breath of life, so that breathe air, right? But they had to be land-dwelling. So you're not going to try to get a whale on there, right? And there's plenty of room, room to spare even for humans. They estimated um, plenty of room even for humans who would have received the warning. And so it was not necessary to load every last species on the earth since we know that a representative of each kind, right, would hold the genetic variability to develop into various species as descendants, which is what we commonly see today. And then even today's kinds have genetic variations, and they're regarded as different species, but they're still interfertile, right? They can still mate with each other. So there are hundreds of varieties of mice, for example, all over the world, but they easily could have come from one pair of mice because they're still interfertile. Same thing with cats. You realize that all cats are interfertile from lions to uh, to cats, house cats. They're interfertile. They can mate although it's complex. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's horses, and they are generally interfertile, and dogs and bears, right? So you see all the variety of bears came from one set. In fact, you see a lot of um, crossover in areas where they, they meet, where the, the brown bears and the polar bears meet. And so um, 
you you see that only a pair of each kind was necessary to give all the diversity that we see today. And of course, we know we have lost some diversity. We could tell by what's in the fossil record. Um, we also have dinosaurs were land animals that were created on the sixth day. People go, oh, ha, ha, you people don't believe that dinosaurs. Yes, of course we do. They were created on the sixth day and they were likely loaded onto the ark um, as juveniles for the very large dinosaurs, right? And uh, you, I mean, you think you can get giraffes and elephants on there. Um, and many dinos, dinosaurs are not as big as that. Many are, are smaller um, than even elephants. And so they were able to load them on, no problem. And here's a little bonus detail concerning dinosaurs. Uh, Job actually describes two creatures when God is speaking in the latter chapters, two creatures that perfectly fit two different known dinosaurs. And it suggests that they survived even after the flood, although the cooler temperatures likely hindered their wide-range success. Um, There's also a great deal of eyewitness testimony for dinosaurs existing after the flood in various histories, accounts, encyclopedias of nature. And particularly compelling, there's visual depictions and artwork of all ancient, um, ancient histories. So we've got pictographs on walls, on cave walls of dinosaurs. There's nothing else they can be. Sculptures and figurines from various cultures in ancient pictorial records on clay vessels, woven textiles, wood carvings, various hardware. There's a, there's a huge record of dinosaurs throughout history, and we just don't believe it. And uh, you've got to wonder why. And there's no shortage of evidence that dinosaurs lived after the flood. They're simply secular scientists who refuse to accept this. And they use circular reasoning to dismiss these. Um, This is their reasoning. Well, all dinosaurs went extinct millions of years ago. And therefore, any evidence suggesting that they lived after that is not correct. See? Circular reasoning. And so uh, let's pick up to the Genesis account later. It describes when it was time for Noah to enter the ark and the flood was going to come. And so it says in Genesis 7-1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. After seven more days, I will cause the rain Uh, cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of all the earth all living things that I've made. And Noah did according to what he commanded him. And so we see also that um, only the animals that have the breath of life in them and not every species on the planet. Then we can look at the description of the mechanism of the flood. How did God do it? And he describes it in Genesis beginning at uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the seventh day of the month, um, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain on the earth, and it, where it was rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the face of the earth, every creeping thing and man, and all those whose, whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So it's a very clear description. And we can see that all that all 
life died. This is not a local flood. This is a global flood, and we see the mechanisms for the global flood. And it's clear as we look at the geology for uh, on the earth that there was a global flood. And so we could see that um, God even describes how he got rid of the floods in Psalm 104.5. It says, you who laid the foundations of the earth so that it would not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up as the mountains arose and the waters went down as the valleys descended and they went to the place which you had founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over again. It's interesting because the earth, if it had no mountains and no valleys, it would be covered in 1.7 miles of water. And so we see this principle that Psalms 104 describes that God caused mountains to rise up rapidly and create valleys that cause the waters to drain into the water basins. And that's exactly what we see today. And so when we begin to look at the geological evidence for the global flood, we see this is exactly the thing that we find. We find, we find fossils. We find, uh, strata, um, that reveals all of these, uh, deposits of the flood that have no other explanation. And I, I like to refer to what, um, what, uh, answers in Genesis commonly says to remember. They say millions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the world. What kind of evidence would you expect from a flood? We see it all around us. And so um, today I think we're going to have to wind this up and we're going to take a look at the rest of the evidence for the global flood. Believe me, science verifies it. You'll be excited to know. And until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.